the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back. Monday, September 8, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. 602-508-0960 is your code to enter and join the show, to which I have Mr. Bill at my north. I have David Dahl to my west. I have Miss Terry to the west of Mr. Dahl. How many of you uh, commemorated Constitution Day yesterday or even knew it was Constitution Day? 236 years of the longest-running Constitution in history. You'd think it'd be a thing. Well, it should be. But we've been taught and told for so long that things like 1776 are as irrelevant to our beginning as 1787, just as much as 7817 or 6771 would be not worthy of study. Because white because racist, because, because, because of the unwonderful things our founders did. But as Abraham Lincoln once put it, quote, repeal the Declaration of Independence, repeal all past history, you still cannot repeal human nature. This is what the founders understood, and this is why, in the words of William Blackstone, quote, the American Constitution is, so far as I can see, the most wonderful work ever struck off at a given time by the brain and purpose of man, close quote. Or as James Madison put it, quote, every word of the Constitution decides a question between power and liberty, close quote. You see, as Madison put it in Federalist 51, the keenest understanding of human nature is why we have our Constitution. As he wrote, quote, the interest of the man must be connected with the constitutional rights of the place. It may be a reflection on human nature that such devices should be necessary to control the abuses of government. But what is government itself but the greatest of all reflections on human nature? If men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men... Neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. But in framing a government, which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed and in the next place oblige it to control itself, close quote. We are not by nature angels. Human nature can run roughshod over rights, can corrupt liberty, can corrupt power. We must have a control of the governed. What is that control? Self-control. Virtue. Which is what and the only thing that allows for self-government. As I like to repeat Irving Crystal's line, to have self-government, you have to have selves worthy of governing. And of course, you have to have limits on government. He wrote it this way, quote, This idea starts from the proposition that democracy is a form of self-government, and that if you want it to be a meritorious polity, you have to care about what kind of people govern it. Indeed, it puts the matter more strongly and declares that if you want self-government, you are only entitled to it if that self is worthy of governing, close quote. That's why Michael Novak could years ago identify exactly why it's a bad idea to say 
defund the police, given human nature. He said, a country that venerates moral virtue has 330 million policemen. A country that denigrates it will never be able to hire enough. Thus, I show you the times. A misunderstanding of human nature. Turns out not everyone is a good person. Turns out police are necessary. Turns out police are not the enemy. Turns out people can overreact. Turns out taking one incident that is regrettable or worse does not mean everyone and everything is corrupt. Turns out those who think man is perfect or can be play with fire fan the flames of fire and end up burning their cities. Turns out constitutionalism matters and means something, and we've ignored and mistaught it at our peril. So though it may be belated, we should still celebrate our Constitution today. How did we get it? As uh, is written in the Patriot's Almanac, the men who gathered in 1787 at the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia had trouble on their hands. Times were bad for the new nation. The Revolutionary War had left debts the states were unwilling or unable to pay. The Articles of Confederation had set up a weak national government. Congress had few real powers. There was no executive branch to enforce laws, no Supreme Court to interpret them. Quarrels between the states were spreading. The so-called Union was a mess. Something must be done or the fabric must fall, for it is certainly tottering, said George Washington. Writing a whole new constitution wasn't the original aim of the leaders who traveled to Philadelphia to meet in the same building where independence had been declared 11 years earlier. They intended to strengthen the Articles of Confederation, but it didn't take them long to realize that starting from scratch made more sense. So the 55 delegates set about coming up with a new scheme for American government. James Wilson of Pennsylvania observed that for the first time in history, a nation's people were going to, quote, weigh deliberately and calmly and to decide leisurely and peacefully upon the form of government by, they, by which they will bind themselves and their posterity, close quote. The convention formally opened on May 25 with George Washington presiding as its president. And it turned out to be a long and stormy session. The states were used to going their own ways. Each delegation had a different set of interests to protect. Many feared that a strong national government would end up squelching liberty. So sharp were some disagreements that at times the convention seemed on the point of dissolution. Day after day through the hot summer, they argued while George Washington looked on in despair, holding things together by the force of his character, even as he wondered if the infant union was about to fall apart. But somehow they managed to pull it all off. The scheme of government that came out of that long summer of debate may well be the greatest political document in history. To a large degree, it followed a plan set forth by James Madison of Virginia, who had become known as the father of the Constitution. On September 17, 1787, 38 of the delegates signed the Constitution, some with reservations. At the beginning of the convention, Benjamin Franklin, at age 81, the oldest delegate, had noticed that the back of George Washington's chair was decorated with the image of a son. At the convention's end, Franklin said, I have often and often in the course of this session and the vicissitudes of my hopes and fears as to its issue looked at that behind the president without being able to tell whether it was a rising sun or a setting sun. But now at length I have the happiness to know that it is a rising and not a setting sun. Congress then sent the new plan to the states for ratification which was by no means a certainty. 
Many Americans did not trust the idea of a central governing power. Others thought something stronger was needed. There was even talk of putting a king on American's throne, America's throne to run things, perhaps a son of George III or even George Washington himself. The debate started all over again, this time in state houses, taverns, and newspaper pages. Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay laid out the arguments for the Constitution in a brilliant series of published essays known as the Federalist Papers. Written in the white heat of the struggle over ratification, the Federalist Papers stand as the best exposition of our nation's founding principles. Nine states were needed to ratify in order for it to take effect. On December 7, 1787, Delaware became the first, then Pennsylvania five days later, then New Jersey, Georgia, Connecticut, Massachusetts, Maryland, and South Carolina. On June 21, 1788, New Hampshire became the crucial ninth state to give its consent. Still, no one was sure the Constitution would really be accepted until the important states of Virginia and New York ratified it. Virginia ratified on June 25, 1788, and New York July 26. North Carolina and Rhode Island followed. Congress convened in New York City on March 17, excuse me, March 4, 1789, officially putting the Constitution into operation. It is the oldest written federal constitution in effect today. It would be a matter of some affectation to ignore one of the greatest antagonisms of our time as we celebrate the constitution, and that's the issue of slavery. The left today believes the constitution promotes slavery and thus is a corrupt document. Many of us think it did not and think it the most wonderful work ever struck off at a given time by the brain and purpose of man. You've often heard me say the left today buys into the Confederate argument, Roger Taney's view of the Constitution, particularly in his opinion in Dred Scott. It is an awful, execrable opinion, and everyone used to be taught that, and everyone used to know that. It read the Constitution to support slavery. There were, however, dissents in that opinion, dissents that read the Constitution not to support slavery, but to tolerate it where it was so that it would be restricted in its expansion and thus strangled to the point of ultimate, hopefully soon, extinction. I'd like to say a few more words about that because the left knows nothing of this, and I fear too many of our students don't either. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I was saying a word or two about um, Constitution Day, which took place yesterday, and just wondering how many of you thought about that or taught anything about that to young ones who aren't getting it in schools because the Constitution is seen like a down-market commodity because, as I say, the left has taught the lesson— that the Constitution was racist and not worthy of study anymore, but rather fundamental transformation. A lot of this rests on a misinterpretation and misunderstanding of what the Constitution had to say with regard to slaveholding states. And Supreme Court Chief Justice Roger B. Taney's opinion in the Dred Scott decision, which did so much damage. But it is a curiosity that the left is accepting Roger Taney's argument rather than 
the dissents in the Dred Scott case, of which there were two very important ones, which tried to correct the historical record and his error. Abraham Lincoln tried that as well, and I thought won the day, but evidently didn't, because the left is buying not the Lincoln argument about our Constitution and Declaration, but the Confederacy's argument about it, which if you read Mark Levin's newest book, which I think lands tomorrow, you will get a perfectly great historical teaching on why that is. I've been going through it. He'll be a guest on this show later in the week. It is an ongoing curiosity to me that the left today supports the reading of the founding through the view of the Confederacy, which supported slavery and lost, and not the view of Abraham Lincoln or the dissent in Dred Scott or Frederick Douglass and the side that won. Why do I say Frederick Douglass? Well, he isn't taught today either. And as he put it, though Colin Kaepernick chooses to ignore and cut these segments out of his select quotations of Douglass, Frederick Douglass did write this, quote, In the founders' admiration of liberty, they lost sight of all other interests. They were peace men, but they preferred revolution to peaceful submission to bondage. They were quiet men, but they did not shrink from agitation against oppression. They showed forbearance, but that they knew its limits. They believed in order, but not in the order of tyranny. With them, nothing was settled that was not right. With them, justice, liberty, and humanity were final, not slavery or oppression. You may well cherish the memory of such men. They were great in their day and generation. Their solid manhood stands out the more as we contrast it with the degeneracy of our times. He would go on to say, quote, In the Constitution I hold there is neither warrant, license, nor sanction of the hateful thing, slavery. But interpreted as it ought to be interpreted, the Constitution is a glorious liberty document, close quote, a glorious liberty document. Do the people wanting to tear down his and Lincoln's and Washington's and Grant's statues know any of this, or do they care, or do they just side with the Confederacy without even knowing it? In the end, Lincoln had it right, as did Douglas, as did the dissents in Dred Scott, as did the soldiers in the Union that defeated the Confederacy. They weren't fighting for a corrupt view of man or America, after all. And what you learned in every school in America up until about 1980 had it right. This is a country that is glorious and glorious from its outset, just as Frederick Douglass said. Yeah, some could pervert and distort it. Hell, some can pervert and distort anything, including the causes of a car wreck. So I beg of you to see where we are. Go back and read Dred Scott and then read the dissents by Justices McLean and Curtis and tell me who had the better view of history. Harry V. Jaffa put it this way, Justice Taney's opinion in Dred Scott was wrong for one paramount reason. He did not see that the Constitution, grounded in the principles of the Declaration of Independence, reflected any standard of justice other than the positive law. He did not see that the word person meant any human person, whatever his race, creed, or nation. In December 1860, Abraham Lincoln wrote to his old friend Alexander Stevens, who he hoped was still a friend and not an enemy. He wrote, quote, You think slavery is right and ought to be extended, while we think it is wrong and ought to be restricted. That, I suppose, is the rub, close quote. And that was the rub. 
and the wrong, distorted view was rubbed out. Why we cannot celebrate that takes us back to the whole argument about learning history. We don't, and for all the wrong reasons. Thus, propaganda reigns. But it is with humility I think we should concede to a view of the world that would dismiss Washington, Madison, Lincoln, and Douglas. A little humility. It would go a long way today, but that too requires an understanding of human nature, an understanding the left does not today have a hold on. That's my view of Constitution Day for today. Um, We can talk about the Donald Trump interview on Meet the Press as well. I've heard talk shows all day long saying this and that about it and listeners saying this and that about it. I thought it was odd that that Trump would do it under the conditions that it was um, promoted. Kristen Welker is awful. Someone asked me earlier today, why did she replace Chuck Todd? I don't know, but she's no better. It's an odd thing they think it's a news interview. They think it's a fair and news interview to have a reporter argue with the person as if it's a debate in the middle of Q&A and then cut the person off and then on a different set after the interview is over fact check supposedly fact check and correct the record of things Donald Trump said and then go to commercial and come back with an entirely new set of questions for that person while he does not get to see their fact check and then not release the entire interview on air but rather go to a panel of three others with the host to talk about how good the host was and how bad the guest was It's such an odd thing. I suppose after the Caitlin Collins affair with the affair interview with Donald Trump on CNN, that major news networks are freaked out about having a straight interview with Donald Trump. But why can't they? And why shouldn't they? If he's as wrong as they think he is, if he's as fact-addled as he thinks, as they think he is, why not just let people? See it for themselves. Why invite someone, in other words, a guest, that is what they are called. When you have someone interviewed on your show, they are called a guest. Why invite a guest to your show if your whole point is to condemn and critique them when they're not there after they leave? I I honestly just wonder about the world these days. I wonder why someone would submit to that interview, but I wonder why anyone would praise that network for doing it as well. I'll be right back. That hamburger stand. Yeah, not the cheeseburger stand. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. John Dombrowski is the founder of Grand and president of Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. John, how are you? Happy Monday. Happy cheeseburger. Yeah, cheeseburger it's, day. It's a cheeseburger holiday now, if, today. Uh, wasn't cheeseburger in paradise? Was that? Uh, yeah, that was Mr. Buffett. Yeah, yes. that yeah. was some, one of uh, his famous area. When, when was the first uh, cheeseburger? What's the, what's the? Uh, Pasadena, I think, takes the credit for this. Uh, yeah, Pasadena, 1924, Pasadena. right? What year was it? 1924. 1924. Nice. Yeah. Nice. What's your favorite place to go get a cheeseburger? Well, uh, wherever you are. 
that? Well, that'd be great. Uh, no one can uh, Chick Fil A. No one makes one better than I do. No really? Oh, yeah. that's good. I'll have to try that one day. Mrs. Over to show you my, yeah, my cheeseburger good. abilities. Um, John, you know yes. what we should cover? Say a word about the UAW strike, if you don't mind. Uh, okay, yeah, we've got the United Auto Workers, right? Yep. We've got, uh, this is the fourth, I think they're in their fourth day. Interesting thing about this too, Seth, is that, you know, the economy is kind of on a little bit of a, uh, you know, a I guess an alleged right now. Yeah, we're, you know, s- yeah. yeah, signs of uh, you know, you know, the markets have uh, been watching inflation very closely. We've seen that it's been coming down regularly. Although this last uh, consumer price index report, uh, which came out last week, showed that it, it spiked up a little bit, and that had to do with uh, grocery prices up a little bit, housing prices. You know, on an annual basis, housing is still up. Uh, year over year, 7.3%, which is interesting, right? Because everybody was waiting for housing prices to fall because rates were rising, but that's not what's happening out there. Um, but now we've got the United Auto Workers now within strike. So this could now, again, make things even worse, worse for inflation, right. right? Because we may start to see if, if the production of vehicles goes down, demand still being there, uh, that that could certainly cause uh, auto, auto prices to go up. Yep. Used car prices year over year fell 6.6% from this last CPI report, but new car prices rose 2.9% year over year. We could still see another increase in uh, prices for vehicles. And if that's the case, again, those inflationary numbers going higher, the Fed's not going to like that. They're meeting this week. Don't know what they're going to do this week uh, when they come out, but uh, it may be, um, you know, with these other signs we're seeing, another quarter point hike could be in the making either this meeting or next meeting. You know, it's so interesting to me because – First of all, the auto dealers and people wanting new cars, they went through hell for the last three and a half, four years. And yeah. they were just getting car lots back to, you know, their their usual stock. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of uh, car dealers and people who work for car dealers in our audience. And and it was really hell on that portion. And Very difficult. Economy, you yeah. Know? And now this. The UAW isn't what it used to be, interestingly enough. The demands... I don't know. I mean, when I hear a little bit high for 20 to 40 percent salary increases, that yeah. seems high. And they want to bring back uh, certain pension yeah. benefits. Right. They, defined, want, um, right? they want more, yeah, right. more time off. Right. Um, they want cost of living adjustments. Yeah. I mean, a variety of different things that they're demanding that uh, really. And in this case, um, uh, the CEO of Ford came out and basically said, hey, if we were to meet their demands, we basically would be out of business. Yeah. Yeah. Now, of course, you can't have a company. Uh, especially a publicly traded company, they're not going to be, you know, making some type of agreements between their employees uh, that is going to adversely affect the company. Their goal, of course, is to be profitable. And that may mean, uh, you know, if they push too hard, the labor unions push too hard, that the companies have to make a, a decision that could be very difficult, but maybe jobs may, you know, could be pulled away from U.S. workers and move down to Mexico. That is something well, that is yeah. definitely on the table. I, I think that or or more manufacturing will go into non-union states. You know, the UAW yep, isn't what too. it used to be. I right. looked this up. Right. They peaked at membership in the 70s with 1.5 million workers in a smaller mm-hmm. country. Yeah. A little, they're a little under 400,000 now. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to, to see what this you know? does. Yeah. yeah, yeah, some of the other states, you're right. 
Again, uh, if people want to reach out to me, you certainly can get a hold of me by uh, going to our website, GrandCanyonPlanning.com. Securities and advisory services offered through Creative One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and SIPC and an investment advisor. Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC and Creative One Securities LLC are not affiliated. When can you you, and Tracy come over for cheeseburgers? Well, I'll give you a call offline. Would you? We'll talk. I think it'd be fun. (laughs) Okay, it'd be great. Dagny would love to see you. I would love it. Okay, we'll talk. All right. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you, sir. You bet. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, 602-508-0960. Rick is in Phoenix. Hi, Rick. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Going, 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 gone. It's another home run monologue by Seth. Oh, well, thank you, sir. I mean it. I mean it. And I hope you're having a marvelous Monday, my brother. Yeah. And before I get to my point, may I give a shout-out? Sure. I'd like first to give a shout-out to call screener par excellence Dancing David, who is playing the greatest bumper music today. Is he? Secondly, is to he, my though, bosom, is he Is he playing the greatest, I'm sorry, go is, ahead. Is he playing the greatest bumper music? Uh, for me. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I forgot the bumper music is for you, man. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about yeah. that. Yeah, he's, I'm he's, just he's going rogue uh, here and there. And um, <laughs> anyway, it's, it's not going forward. To, <laughs> second shout out to my bosom buddy Bill. Yeah. And third shout out to my new friend Miss Terry, who I'm delighted to report is as cheerful as you guys are. Oh, Maybe so. more so since she's a lady. And since I can be a little grumpy. Crotchety. A little what? Crotchety. I can be crotchety. Oh, crotchety. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm just a so happy to be part of the Seth Liebson family. Thank you, sir. I really am. I, I really am. You. Now, seriously, yeah. about that monologue. Yeah. That should be required listening for every student in America every year of their schooling. Oh, thank you. That's really It kind. really should, Seth. That was so very good, inspiring, informative. You know, one day last week we talked yep. about if you don't know your history, no. you don't know your country, yeah. uh, you know, where are you going to... Yeah, your call come? on that is what kind of had me, it was in the back of my mind as I was putting it together. Yeah. Right. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm glad that I can give you a little inspiration in return for all of the inspiration that you get from me. Thanks. You gave me a lot. So do do I have another minute or so? Yeah, sure you do. Okay, I'll make it as quick as I can. Seth, you are doing... uh, I just want to... I can't commend you enough for the the tremendous service uh, that you are doing for America in your uh, work on education and, you know, what's going on, what it's about, what we need, what can be done, and all that kind of thing. Your interview with Tom Horn, your interview with uh, Tom Lewis, uh, Pete Peterson, uh, Speaker Toma, oh all of those. And I, I, y- you may know already, but I... But I want to. I just wish I. I, I want to recommend uh, that there be a think tank or an organization or an institution that is specifically devoted 
to the issues addressing the mess that American education has become mm. and disseminate information, policy, and procedures and, and uh, ways of going about how to correct this mess. Mm. Like I recently heard that uh, Governor DeSantis de- is uh, doing something with the uh, ungodly uh, amounts of money that these uh, universities mm-hmm. have in their uh, mm-hmm. in their fund yes. in their uh, yeah in their endowments yes endowments mm-hmm. yeah yeah and and also I think going after the 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 crazy tenure system yes you know that gives tenure to a to a abomination like yeah. Bill Ayers yeah. Yeah. So who that's yeah, my rant. No, I'm absolutely. Sorry. I no, I'm glad you put it that way because, you know, um part of our uh, the cultural fight, you know, people think it's just issues just issues like abortion or race. It's not. It's education. Uh, yes. and it starts there, frankly. It's yes. all there. And notice that by the way, the left tries to put those issues in education. You know, they try to racialize our students at younger and younger grades. They try to sexualize them at younger and younger grades. Right. And, you know, we end up doing to kids all the wrong things that lead to further and further perpetuating cycles of adult problems. Uh Uh-huh. You know, by yanking children out of... By exposing them to adult materials too quickly before they can form appropriate thoughts and mental measurements about them, you know, we yank right. them, we, we kind of yank them out of the the precious and innocent Garden of Eden of their childhood, such uh-huh. that by the time they are adults, they are, as we like to call them here, children in adult bodies with arrested development. And right. And, and and it just goes on and on and on and on unless someone is willing to do something about it. But it has to be done, you're quite right, at both the young levels and the college and the collegiate level. It has to be done in post-secondary education as well, as yes. Governor DeSantis, like few other governors, understands. And it and it and it and it and it requires a strong board of regents for the public universities. Jobs that are not given away as sinecures or payoffs, but for people who have serious ideas and knowledge about education and uh, polarization and propaganda through the use of education and we're willing to do something about it. That's what DeSantis is teaching in Florida. Um, Not enough governors have taken that instruction. Ronald Reagan taught them how to do it when he became governor in California in 1967, and he tried to clean out the Augean stables of higher education by firing uh, Clark Kerr, who was the head of the regents in California. And it seemed like that lesson lay dormant until Ron DeSantis became governor. Um, Yeah. Because it's important. You know, the schools aren't, you know— in autopilot, they're staffed by teachers who come out of the education uh, school, education schools and colleges of our public and, and mostly public, but sometimes private universities as well. Yeah. I mean, it, and, and they will teach what they were taught. And our students, our children, will love what their teachers love. Yeah. And they will love what you and I love if we show them how, or they will love what these— progressives and Marxists love if they have their way. 
And yeah. that is the fight for our culture right now. It's not a winning fight. Right. It's not a winning fight. We're right. not on the winning side of this thing. And that's what scares me, perhaps, or I should say concerns me the most. Yeah. Well, thank you for your good work, Seth. Thank God you. bless you. You too, brother. Thanks. And thank you for your very kind words. We'll be right back. Or maybe it's from that album. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Why Refi. Why Refi? They're headquartered here locally. You can visit them. They're on Scottsdale Road in the 101, and you won't get a sales pitch from them. They just like talking about what it is that they do. They leave the selling up to me. What do they offer? They offer an investment in a portfolio that is both secure and collateralized and offers a high fixed interest rate up to 10.25% rate of return. That's right, a 10.25% fixed rate of return, a due diligence approved firm. Why Refi has a portfolio where you'll know what each monthly statement will look like with no surprises. Your interest is compounded daily. You're paid monthly. There are no fees. You can turn your monthly income on or off, compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principal if you need your money back at any time. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-24. 888-YREFI-24. Steve's in Tempe. Hi, Steve. How you doing, Seth? I'm fine. How are you? Uh, doing good. Just to, just to add to what you were just talking about regarding, I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, this, is, this is a fight that we are losing in, in a, in a big-time way. And I wish I could say differently, and I wish that I could say that there's hope on the horizon. But a couple things. One thing that uh, you had a guest last week, late last week, and I wanted to call in. I wasn't able to. I was uh, driving. Um, but I wanted to call in to ask you or to talk about, you know, because your guest was talking specifically about the student loan crisis. Oh, yeah, the and guys it, it, from Refi. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And it is, in fact, a crisis, as you and I both know, and anybody that's associated with student the student loan situation knows firsthand. It's and um, what just absolutely makes me a couple things. First, I mean, I I have a lot to say about this, but one thing, and specifically, the NEA is is an agency that really needs to get. reduced down to i mean that's a you know that's a huge problem their their influence as it relates to education and funding and everything else associated with it and how how students are being educated is is a huge factor mm-hmm. and needs to get under control secondly again the cost you know i was a, i i graduated from asu in 1982 okay and i figured i figured out that um, uh, just doing some basic math between 1982 and now, cost of education per year has gone up a thousand dollars per year. Now, can you tell me what it is specifically? You know, when when costs go up, you, you anticipate. You know, if it's cars or something that uh, where you're going to be getting more value for your dollar because they're it's Yeah, I got to go to better. a break, but if you want to stay, I'll tell you exactly what yep. it is. Okay, yeah, stay yeah, over the, stay over the break. We'll pick up on it on yeah, the other side. You. Okay, good. I'm Seth and we'll be right back. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.